you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to Chris Voss Show, my ladies and gentlemen, my friends, neighbors, relatives, all of you, as always, the Chris Voss Show family that loves you but doesn't judge you, at least not as harsh as your mother-in-law because you still owe her that $5 and you never paid her back and you and you shouldn't have broke her, her, her fine china anyway. So please see if you can work on that because you're going to have to see her uh, over Christmas. Uh, anyways, she sent that message in the show, so you know who you are and you're, you're in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> the Christmas show, folks. Welcome to another episode. I hope you're strapped in, ready to go, ready for the big brain bleed roller coaster of education. We're going to be talking about being a more civil society and how we can be nicer and better to each other because we need some more of that in this world. There's a lot of ugly things going on if you turn on the news lately, and uh, it seems like it's been going on uh, that way for all my life. So uh, anyway, we can improve each other's lives, and that's, of course, what the Chris Voss Show is about, educating people, telling life stories. Uh, as I always say, stories are the owner's man's life. And for 15 years, three to four shows a day, 10 to 15 shows a week, 20 shows a week. I, I, I'm bad at math. Uh, we've been bringing you the billionaires, the CEOs, the U.S. ambassadors, the White House president's advisors, uh, Justice Department, astronauts, TV, print, Pulitzer Prize winner journalists, and everything else. And we have another amazing journalist on the show with her hottest new book that just came out August 10th, 2023. It's called The Soul of Civility. Timeless Principles to Heal Society and Ourselves by Alexandra Hudson. And if you've seen me, I need a lot of healing. My audience right now is going, he needs a lot of healing and maybe a lobotomy. Alexandra Hudson is a writer, popular speaker, and founder of Civic Renaissance, a publication and intellectual community dedicated to beauty, goodness, and truth, or me on Fridays, pretty much, beauty, goodness and truth what no that's not possible i'm not I'm, I'm just more i'm more of a silver fox than a beauty thing but i don't know about the goodness part uh she was named the 2020 novak journalism fellow and contributes to fox news cbs news the wall street journal usa today time magazine political magazine and newsweek she earned a master's degree in public policy from the london school of economics as a rotary scholar and and is an adjunct professor at the Indiana University Lilly School of Philanthropy. Uh, she is also a creator of a series for the teaching company called Storytelling and the Human Condition. Her first book just came out, the one we aforementioned, and uh, she lives in Indianapolis, Indiana, Indiana, with her husband and children. Welcome to the show, Alexandra. How are you? I'm great, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. It's wonderful to have you. Are, are you an Indiana Colts fan by chance or your husband? 
I'm so sorry, Chris, if this offends you or your um, audience. Sport, <laughs> sport is not my language. It is okay. not asking about almost anything else, and I can be conversant, but you have to choose, I feel. <laughs> there you go. Well, there you go. Uh, so uh, give us the .coms. Where do you want people to find you on the interwebs to get to know you better? Oh, um, please go to... Um, uh, Amazon.com and buy my book. No, I'm joking. But like, you know, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on the platforms. I'm on social media. Uh, I have a publication and newsletter intellectual community called Civic Renaissance. Uh, it's about beauty, good as truth and reviving the wisdom of the past to help us lead better lives and um, would be thrilled to have you over there learning with us um, and, and reflecting on the highest and best questions in life. So um, thanks for asking. There you go. Better questions lead to a better life and, and better outcomes. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so uh, give us a 30,000 overview of the book and what it entails in your words. Well, I love what you said a moment ago about better questions help us lead a better life. Because uh, as I learned while writing this book, uh, this question of, of how we might flourish across deep difference, which is what my book explores, uh, is the most important question of our day in this very divided moment that we find ourselves in. But it's also a timeless question. It's it's mm -hmm. the defining question of the human species. Uh, how do we flourish across you know different competing interests and priorities? We've been trying to do this thing called society for a very long time. <laughs> and it's always been hard. It's always been hard. So I, I approach this question of civility and the role of social norms um, uh, kind of universally, like across exploring across history and cross culture. Uh, and, it, and it gives it gave me a lot of humility while approaching this question, this topic. And I hope that readers come away with the humility of how hard this problem is, that no single public leader, no policy, no book is going to fix it. That if anything, I hope that my book, again, helps us better understand the questions that we should be asking and the role that we each have to be part of the solution because of that, that is a big part of my of my book that this this is a, a, an intractable problem. It's a timeless problem, uh, this question of incivility and social life. And yet we each have a role to play in being part of the solution and how in supporting or detracting our civilization or democracy and how we choose to respect and be gracious and kind, hospitable to our fellow human beings, our fellow citizens in our everyday. So uh, we have to be nice to each other is what you're saying? So let's let's unpack that. So being being nice and polite is different from being civil. That's a core argument. Uh. I learned this in government firsthand. So I'm, I was raised by Judy, the manners lady. And while I wrote this book, so I was raised in this home that was very attentive to pleasantries and niceties and social norms. While I wrote this book, Chris, I realized that there are no fewer than four women who are internationally renowned experts on etiquette and manners mm. who are named Judy. My mother is just one of four. I guess it's like a generational thing. Like, wow. I'm just like, water. I don't know. But I, I was raised in this home, very mindful of the rules of propriety and etiquette, um, as well as the fact that my mother was an exemplar when it came to just being gracious and kind and hospitable to others. Mm -hmm. My home was this revolving door of strangers and international students and homestays and newcomers to our community. But she was very confident that the rules of etiquette would help me succeed and get along in school and in life. And I rebelled against them. I'm constitutionally allergic to authority. I hate being told what to do, but she was right. I obeyed them for the most part. And she was right until, and they worked for me until I got to government. I was at the United mm -hmm. States Department of Education from 2017 to 2018. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And that experience made me question everything about what I thought I knew to be true and like wow. the principles of thriving in the world. On one hand, I saw people with sharp elbows, people who were hostile and aggressive and willing to step on anyone to get ahead. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, I saw people who were um, polite and suave and polished and poised. And at first I thought, these are my people. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that these are the ones that would smile at me one moment <laughs> and stab me and others back the next. And so that experience clarified to me this essential distinction between civility and politeness. Like it was possible mm-hmm. to be have the external trappings of niceness and and, and polish, but not mm-hmm. actually be good. One thing my mother had said to me growing up was that manners matter because they were an outward extension of our inward character. And yet here I was surrounded by people mm-hmm. who were polite but ruthless and cruel. Mm. So so politeness is etiquette, manners, technique. It's external behavior. Mm. Civility is a disposition of the heart that mm. requires sometimes, that, that, that sees others as our moral equals and, 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 and that, crucially, sometimes actually respecting others requires being impolite. It requires breaking the rules of etiquette and propriety, engaging in robust debate, telling a hard mm-hmm. truth, those are having an uncomfortable conversation. Those are things that politeness wants to sweep under the rug, to polish over. But oh. that's responsibility, actually respecting someone demands. So we need less less politeness in the world today and a little bit more civility, I think, actually respecting others. And and let's dive into that some more. What what is the definition of civility in your mind? You've you've kind of laid some of it out, but is is it seems like there's a balance there between what you talked about between being civil uh, or like a civil in our politics or civil in our nature in society where we can still debate, but is it, is empathy a part of it is what, what, what is wrapped up in, in this? It's a great question. So I love etymology, 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 the history of, and the, the stories of, of words, they're little mm-hmm. anecdotes to help us remember different ideas. I love, I love etymology it's all throughout my book. So the, and it's also, also often very clarifying about what words, how words have evolved over time. Um, so the etymology of these two words, civility and politeness supports this distinction. Civility, um, is the the root Latin root is kivitas, the Latin mm-hmm. word for for city and for citizenship and the citizen and that's what civility is. It's the habits mm-hmm. and the duties of citizenship. The Latin root of politeness is polyere, which means to smooth or to mm. polish, and that's what politeness does. It polishes over, it papers over difference, as opposed to giving us the tools to grapple with difference head on. So civility is necessary, not just to to survive in a democracy. Like we have to be able to navigate competing interests. We have to talk about controversial things like politics and religion. Those are the kind of topics that politeness says, you know, don't talk about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So we have to, we, we need civility, the basic respect for others that allows us to have these hard conversations. We need that to survive. We also need it to thrive. And one story I love to tell is about and it did really flourish in community. One story I love to tell is about the time when Queen Victoria, you know, literally the queen of Victorian manners and the most arcane, you know, arbitrary, intricate system of manners that that maybe maybe has ever existed in human history. And she was at a state dinner. She was hosting the Queen of Persia to dinner. And the Queen of Persia did the unthinkable. She took the bowl in front of her, 
and sipped it to her lips, tipped it to her lips and sipped it like soup. And everyone Wait, was is that bad? Yeah, everyone was scandalized. I'm going to start because, doing that in, uh, right, in nice restaurants. It was a finger bowl. It was meant to wash your hands and she had sipped the finger oh. bowl. And what did Queen Victoria do? The exact same thing. She tipped the bowl to her lips and sipped it. Why? She broke this very common, commonly known for her era, for her culture, norm of propriety and etiquette and politeness mm -hmm. for the sake of graciousness, for the sake of hospitality, for the sake of, of friendship and trust, for the sake of making her you know, guest feel welcome and at ease, not embarrassing her. So we need to break the be willing to break the rules of politeness sometimes to survive in a democracy and to thrive as a species, but also to thrive hmm. um, for the sake of, of friendship and flourishing and hospitality. There you go. Uh, yeah, I do that at fine restaurants and always get thrown out. They're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, you know, but part of it is because I'm in the kitchen and I'm drinking out of the big pot. And that, evidently that's bad. Uh, so uh, the judge says I can't do that anymore. Uh, but civility, we is, is part of this seeing each other as a valid human beings. You know, uh, America is kind of built on uh, what, what's supposed to be this culture of where we can debate each other, where we can have free speech. Uh, but where it, it kind of seems like we used to respect each other maybe a little bit more in the in the older days. Maybe, I don't know, I wasn't there. So I heard it was maybe better, but I don't know. <laughs> Somebody could be lying to me. Um, you know, how do we how do we overcome, get back to a civil world? Uh, where are we going off the rails right now? And uh, why are we so polarized? Yeah, it's a great question. It's really actually remarkably common, uh, remarkable how common it is rather mm -hmm. for every era to feel like they're in the most uncivil era. And why? It's because it's the era that we're in, that we're visceral, viscerally experiencing and observing the, you know, hostility, hostility, the violence, the division, the fraying of our social fabric all around us. But Chris, you're in good company to feel like your your era is the most uncivil, or at least among the most. Um, but in it's fact, all about me. as I mentioned, that this is a remarkably timeless issue. Did you know, for example, Chris, that the oldest book in the world is a civility book. It's given to us from ancient Egypt, 2300, 2350 BC. It's called the teachings of Tahotep. Tahotep was the Egyptian visor. He had been in the room where it happens his entire life. And he'd reached the pinnacle of earthly and worldly success. And he was even offered the chance to be Pharaoh. So be, you know, king of all of Egypt. And he turned it down to lead a quiet life in seclusion and just pastoral peace. And he um, set, once he had retired, he set pen to paper and like thought deeply, like what are the, what are the timeless principles of human flourishing? What's the stuff of the good life? And he wrote this, this book as a gift to Pharaoh's son in hopes that he, his son might be a good and wise leader, but that the teachings of Tahotep had been, were widely consumed across Egyptian culture and across history, even making it over to the West, probably in ancient Greece, that the, the Greeks were very influenced by the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that the teachings of Tahotep are remarkably timeless. They could be a mismanners column today. They're things like, you know, if you're in a position of power, don't abuse people whom you have power over. Damn. If you, it, you know, don't just ask your friends and your neighbors for stuff when you want something, you know, for, oh, don't just go to them. Don't be nice. Don't be nice to them just when you need stuff, like be good to them all the time. Um, don't gossip. Tahotep says he has 
three to five different teachings, different maxims about why we shouldn't gossip, that it's corrosive to human trust and human flourishing. And so it's all this conventional wisdom that, again, was was written almost 5,000 years ago in a very different time in a very different place to us. But I mean, it gets to this idea that it's a timeless human problem that we, that we, that this, this, that because we're defined, we're deeply social as a species. We, we thrive in relationship and community, but we're also fallen. We're, we're, we're defined by self-love morally and biologically, and we are driven to meet our own needs before others. And those two aspects in our nature are intention today mm-hmm. as they were 5,000 years ago, the dawn of our species. Isn't it amazing how so many of these old original uh, like Stoics and and people who wrote you know books years ago, you know you 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 kind of like I don't know you assume that like they live in modern times, but they write these things that are just they're just uh, so timeless and epic across across the things. You know, usually I study the teachings uh, when it comes to civility of uh, of the great Rodney King. Like, uh, why can't we all just get along? Eh? <laughs> So there you go. Uh, it's it's uh, it, it's so. How do we how do we how do we get down this road of doing better? What are some tools that you outline in your book that we can start using? You talked about self accountability, which seems to be a challenge in today's world. What are what are some tools that we could use when we interact with each other and maybe think about our approach to other people? I hope my book leaves readers with a profound sense of empowerment. Like we, this, this, this question is incredibly hard and it's incredibly intractable and incredibly timeless because it's in our nature, but it literally begins and ends with each of us and it, and, and civilization, society, democracy itself depends on our everyday tiny interactions. And I think we insufficiently appreciate that the, the way, the power we each have to be a part of the solution mm-hmm. or as it may be the part, part of the problem that um, at, we, we have incredible power to, 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 to heal our social fabric and our everyday. So part of my story is that I was in Washington and I, you know, I experienced this division, the extreme aggression and extreme politeness that I realized there are actually two sides of the same coin that both want to instrumentalize others, both see other people as means to their selfish ends, as opposed to human beings who are worthy of respect in and of themselves. And I fled, I fled Washington. I was so, you know, in despair, (laughs) So naive, so young. Um, and I moved to Indianapolis, Indiana, where my husband's from. And we've been here five years now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and one day, a woman came up to me. She said, hi, I'm Joanna. Would you like to porch with us sometime? And I never heard the word porch used mm-hmm. as a verb before. But I was curious, and we didn't know how many friends yet. So we went to our home to porch that afternoon. And um, there... Um, I saw this quiet revolution, this quiet rebellion happening on Joanna's front porch. She had curated Mm -hmm. on her front porch people across um, race, across politics, across geography, Mm -hmm. across economic strata and uh, status and to just inhabit a shared space. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, to some extent, my book argues like human nature doesn't change. This is a timeless problem. It's it's the defining, you know, human problem of how to do life together across difference. 
And yet there are many things about our moment that are different that make this challenge particularly difficult and unique to our moment. For example, it's very easy to just go through life not really encountering people we don't want to encounter. You know, we can have our food delivered. We have our, we have Netflix. We go from our car to um, our, our office and then back home again if we have to leave our home at all. Like so many people are remote these days. Yeah. And so it's really easy to be siloed and just like really insulated from people who are different from us, people we don't want to be around. Mm-hmm. And, and that is why, you know, th- th- that's part of the problem of why we're uniquely lonely and isolated and in despair and divided as a country at a, at a local micro level, but also as a, as at a national level, like these, these two things are very much related. And Joanna from her front porch is staging this revolution. She's saying, you know, I can't control what is happening in Washington. What's happening in the middle East. I can't control like the scandal of the day. I can't control the divisions of the world, but I can change myself. I can make my community better and more beautiful and stronger. And so she opens up her porch as this oasis away from the harried and divided nature of modern life. It's just a place to be and be seen and known and loved, which is all we ever really want in life. Anyone, doesn't matter where you are or, or what era we're in, that's all we ever really want. And what I learned from Joanna is that you don't even need a front porch to be a part of the solution as she is. It, it's about a disposition. It's a way of approaching others. It's a way of wanting to, to see, know, and love people where they're at, to bring them into your fold, to, to transform the stranger into a friend, the outsider into an insider. This may sound trite and platitudinal and you know kindergarten type stuff, but it's powerful. It is yeah. profoundly powerful. And I've, I've, you know, I've seen it firsthand. I've experienced it firsthand. And that is that it, there are things or that that is something that we can each do to be a part of the solution in our deeply broken and divided world. I love the idea that getting together as people once more, I think COVID's made it worse. We're separated. I know social media has made it worse where everyone's walking around, you know, looking at their screens. Uh, I'm even, you know, guilty of that when I go, I go to the, I'll go to the, uh, grocery store and you know i'm listening to like an audiobook the whole time or something instead of interacting right. with people. and then uh uh you know it's it's uh it, it, i think i th- think social media has alienated us more the screens of alienated us more like you mentioned the netflix and stuff when i grew up in the 70s um it was a, it was a bit of a different time uh and you know we knew who our neighbors were like and we would go have dinner with them like, you know, we uh, go across the street, I don't remember their names, Bob or whatever, and they would cook. And I remember there was a great uh, Irish family that lived uh, kind of kitty corner diagonal off the street from us. They would make uh, just wonderful food from their culture. Uh, we knew almost everybody on the street. Uh, we we kind of knew maybe a little too much, you know, the, the women would gossip. But uh, they'd be like, there you yeah, go. But, uh, you know, we'd, we'd go and have dinners together and, and do things together. Uh, when we'd have our family get-togethers for Thanksgiving and Christmas, we'd have all the families there. Everybody was, you know, just these huge spreads. And uh, uh, nowadays, like, no one knows almost, it seems, who their neighbors are, even next door or across the street. You're like, I don't know, who are those people? And, oh, <laughs> You know, you're peeking out the at the thing in them. And I think that's a big problem. When we had Eddie Glaude Jr. on the show, uh, his book about uh, James Baldwin, we talked about that, how one of the problems we have with our racial issues is so much redlining took place and even the freeways cut us off into different neighborhoods. And so we don't see each other's different cultures. 
and different ways of life. And so things are foreign to us and we don't get along. We don't mix well. Uh, you know, we things stick out like a sore thumb as opposed to being normal. So I love this porching idea or just getting together and breaking bread with people and, yes. and, and getting mm -hmm. to know people. Um, I, I remember somebody introduced me to the concept of breaking bread once and, and how important that used to be as a culture for our country in getting to know strangers and, and getting to know each other and seeing each other as human beings, I suppose. Correct? That's exactly correct. And, mm -hmm. you know, when we cease to dine together, Mm. We cease to know one another, mm. we cease to exist, and we are increasingly dining alone. Yeah. You know, we, 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 the snackification of our culture where we, we have to go meals and, and, and that have been blended. Like, oh my gosh, this disgusting substance called Soylent, I like just repulses me. Like I read a whole like deep, like I think it was a New Yorker piece about Soylent and it's like they molecularly engineered like the perfect meal right it was just so perfect like the perfect ratio of fat and carbohydrates and protein and of course it's like not very high quality ingredients it's like you know corn oil like right that's the kind of fats and proteins they're putting in there and the whole point is like you never have to sit down and have a meal again you know you're optimized you're efficient right like drink your breakfast on the on the road drink your drink your lunch drink your dinner. you never have to sit down and just like do something that's not utilitarian like enjoy a glass of wine and a meal with a friend and this is part of the problem that we're so utilitarian in our culture we everything has to have a purpose everything you know we, we invest our time or money or energy we have to have our roi we want to return on, our, on that investment and we've lost an appreciation of just like the the beauty of the spontaneous everyday exchanges um or just spontaneous you know dropping in on a neighbor we don't do that anymore we don't just like you know can you can you everything has to be scheduled and and and, and ritualized and like that's a problem yeah. it's a problem because it makes the, the more barriers to entry you have to just inhabiting a shared space the less it happens and the less we inhabit shared space over meals, over a cocktail on the front porch, the less we know each other and the less we know, the less we trust, the less we trust and love like that. That's we've lost society. We've lost the stuff of the good life. That is one thing I hope readers take away when they buy my book. And I hope all your listeners do buy my book that society is fragile. Friendship is fragile at its, at its core. It is incredible. So civilization is incredibly precarious. It is not a foregone conclusion mm -hmm. and it literally lives and dies by how we live our lives every day. Mm -hmm. And so if you choose to make the time for it and, and invest the time in others, like that's, that, that is the stuff of the good life. But and it, as you, it, yeah. And as you've talked about in your book, politics as well. I mean, democracies are fragile. Yes. Um, they can live yes. and die and disappear. Yes. I, I love the concept and, and I, it's so important that people think about this because, um, you know, it, it makes all the difference in our world and getting, you know, I, I've got this thing. I love, I'm an old world person. So I like calling it talking to people. It's really weird. I know. Um, you know, I lived in the day where you, would, you know, you pick up a phone and go beep, beep, boop. You actually go around the thing. Right. Um, and you talk to people and I love talking to people, spending time with them. That's half the reason we do this show. I get to talk to brilliant minds, people who've done millions of hours of research or whatever in, into their, into their topics. Uh, they come from all walks of life on the show and hopefully my audience, uh, appreciates it as well. Um, and you just never know. We go from the gambit of one subject to another or across the thing, but it's things where everyone can learn. But uh, on, on Facebook, one of my favorite things to do with people that I, I like, you know, they'll message me on, you know, uh, the, the Facebook messenger there or something. And uh, I don't like typing stuff. 
I'm just kind of old world that way. And so I'll leave them a voicemail message, not on a phone call, because people get weird about that too nowadays. It's really weird. But I'll leave them a messenger thing where you, you do the voice thing. And you go, hey, baby, hey, it's good to talk to you. How's it going? Eh? And there's some people that really freak out about it. They're like, you left me a voice message? I know. I know. It's like, we're different generations, Chris. And I'm like, text first. Don't just call. I want to know. I want to be emotionally prepared. Yeah. There are these funny TikToks about like someone coming to the front door and then like the first yeah. scene is like, you know, knocking and, and like, you know, the, our, our grandparents' generation gets up and goes to the door, right? Like no big deal. The second generation, like, you know, you, they hear the knock and they're like, who's going to get it? Like, it's like kind of like, you know, I'm back at you. And, and, and like find the, the, the gen, the gen Zers, like they hear the knock of the door and they just like slowly slink and they, like, <laughs> and they hide the blanket over there. They're like, Oh my gosh, let's go away. I don't want to see another human oh being. <laughs> Intimacy. What? Intimacy. Right. No. Right. But you know, what's funny is it happens to people my age that are, that are my age. Like I've, I've, I actually got into a, I had one guy, he like lost his mind in it. I'm like, you're 55. Like I am, you're not a Gen Z. You're not a millennial. You're 55. You grew up in the same era I did with phones. And to me, I like the intimacy of talking to people. So I'll leave that. I, you know, I don't call them and leave a voicemail message, but I'll do it on the messenger thing on uh, Facebook. And so, but I like that it's personal. And I like to hear their voice too. If they, if they someone back, I don't sit there and go, oh my God, but I've had some people that just are my age that I'm just really surprised. And I'm like, well, this is where we've gotten when it comes to intimacy and civility and, and just talking to each other as human beings. Like, oh my God, I have to. And I, I remember the one guy who freaked out on me, who was my age. He goes, he goes, I have to actually sit and listen to this for like two minutes. I'm like, dude, I see your life on Facebook. You spend more time jerking around on so many stupid things all day long. Oh, my God, two minutes. I'm going to end your whole life. <laughs> right. Right. So exactly. uh, there's that. Well, I think there's no coincidence that the, you know, three of the great religious traditions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, they all revolve around shared meals together. So yeah. the, um, in the Islamic tradition, the iftar, is the fast-breaking meal that breaks Ramadan, mm -hmm. uh, Passover in the, in, the, in the Jewish tradition, and, and the Eucharist. That's like the central ritual in the Christian tradition is like, you know, consuming the metaphorical body and blood of Christ that symbol is symbolic and representative of Christ's last supper with his disciples. But there is a power. Oh, and you probably know this, that our, 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 um, root word of our, our word companion, you know, friend comes from the Latin root pain, uh, mm. which is bread. And like in French today, pain, uh, pain is still, is still a word for bread. So companion literally comes from this tradition of breaking bread with someone. You probably mm. learned, you probably learned that from your former guest who, yeah. who informed you about the breaking bread tradition. But I mean, there is something that we're losing as we increasingly become utilitarian as a society, as we, as we dine alone, as we, you know, when we, when we respond in fear, when someone calls us or comes to our door, right? Like it's a serial killer and not just a neighbor, you know, checking in. Cause that's just such a foreign occurrence. Like it would only be a crazy person who's calling us, Chris, <laughs> or, or showing up at our doorstep unannounced that they, they must want to kill us, you know, yeah. that's a problem. That's a problem because social trust is what makes society tick 
Like we mm-hmm. have to be able to trust that, you know, there are more good people and bad people around us and that there aren't people out to get us and want to harm us. That's essential to a free society, a functioning society where we're not, um, yeah, in, in fear and, and trepidation, mm-hmm. just doing everyday things. Yeah. What I have on my front door to keep that from happening is I have uh, no marketing calls and no serial killers. You put oh, a sign perfect. out there. And the serial killers, when they come to the door, they go, oh, okay, this is what I've heard guys. that. It's better than a security system. Just like a, a gracious, like, please, no serial killers. Like, I yeah, think no serial killers. I think we it's have, the please that really gets them. They're like, okay, well, if you said please, well, let's go to the next house then. I feel bad when they hit the neighbors up, but that's not my problem. Uh, they should have had the sign. They should have known. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, the Mormons will still knock, so there's that. Oh, boy, the seven-day Adventists. That's uh, Saturday morning. Um, but, no, I, I'm glad you've written this book, and I'm glad you're educating people on how to be nice to each other we need to get back to a better place uh we need to get it back to a better place in politics you know one thing you gave me an epiphany uh mid show as we were talking is how we live apart and i was thinking about it suddenly hit me about the blue states and the red states mm. the flyover county middle part of this country and you know we we have segment ourselves kind of in our own ways in that way with the blue states and the and the red states if you really think about it it's kind of interesting and it's yeah yeah it's it's so true and i mean chris what you just said warms my soul because my i i live to give people epiphanies i just mm-hmm. hope people i just hope people reading my book just go from epiphany to epiphany. <laughs> so i'm delighted to hear that that was the effect <laughs> There you go. And a great book to give away coming up here with Christmas and stuff. Go. And of course, we, we all probably need this book. And you should probably pre-send it to all the members of your family before you show up for Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner, because we know That's how those, right. can, those can be. Uh, give us your final thoughts, Alexander, as we go out and pitch on the book to be able to pick it up. Well, you know, we, it's it's really easy to feel to feel helpless especially with the conflict happening in the Middle East, just like the senseless loss of life, like women and children, it's just devastating to, to observe that. And, and we, we, it's really easy to feel overwhelmed by that. And yet there is a rich tradition across history and culture that um, encourages us to care for mankind, to care for you know, the suffering of humanity across the world by caring for humanity at home right where we mm-hmm. are in our everyday. And and so we ought not despair and say, okay, that suffering's over there. There's nothing we can do. But like, how can, you know, being sensitized to that, grave, that grievous injustice abroad, how can that make us all the more committed to the project of respecting the dignity and humanity of the other in our everyday and wanting to be more gracious, gentle, and kind um, to the people who are not like us, Mm-hmm. Who who will never see again? Who can do nothing for us in return? Like those are the anonymous, countless exchanges we have in this globalized, industrialized, you know, wealthy Western world that we live in. It's a privilege to live in this this this, this era, this world that we're in. Um, but it's really easy to be, as we've been talking about, very utilitarian in how we walk through our lives. And it's like you know, I'm just I'm just going to show up where where I definitely get something. I'm going to take my needs, get my needs met, and then move on. But but what does it look like to validate and affirm? the dignity and humanity of every single person we encounter. And that in doing that, we're affirming personhood and humanity and humaneness around the world as well. Like that, that every single day, every decision we make either supports or detracts from this joint project of human flourishing and civilization. That is the stuff of, of the good life. 
Mm-hmm. And we've 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 actually had neuroscientists that are on the show that say we're actually designed to do this face to face, to see each other's body language, to sit, uh, you know, get rid of the cell phones. I remember when cell phones really became popular. I would go into a restaurant. I would see a family of four, two children, mother and and father, and they'd all be you know like doing this, and no one's talking to each other. No one's interacting i'm like jesus we're really screwed here but uh put down the cell phones get to know people because we're actually designed for it. the neuro uh surgeon or neuro um folks that we've had on the thing uh they've actually talked about how we're not really designed to deal with this 2g sort of format of a screen we're designed to see each other's faces to see each other's movements and the gestures that we make and that actually gives us feedback and information to our brains that help e- us and mm-hmm. help each other so there mm-hmm. you go thank you very much alexandra for coming on the show we really appreciate it give us your dot com so too so someone can uh, people can reach out to you on the interwebs chris such a pleasure thank you on the interwebs i can be found at alexandraohudson.com and also civic dash renaissance.com that's my my um my website and then my newsletter and publication dedicated to um bringing a little bit more grace and beauty and goodness into your life but i mean that's a that's a tuesday morning for chris so you can just show up here as well (laughs) there you go thank you very much for coming on thanks for having me chris there you go thanks so much for being here and as always we bring you the greatest stories the stories uh, are the uh Owner's Manual to Life. Be civil to each other. Uh, go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, uh, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, and Chris Foss One on the tickety talkity for the kids. As always, stay safe, be good to each other, and we'll see you guys next time. Super-